Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Hope you enjoy. That was incredible. Hey, Prince College, it is great to see you. I've, uh, nope, don't roll it again. Just only once is great. I think that's good. There we go. Awesome. Hey, uh, I've seen a couple of new faces here tonight, so if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Adam Tarver. I'm the college pastor here at Prince, and we're really thankful that you are here. Like my friend Emma said just a, a few minutes ago, um, we are in a series that we've been calling God Is. And we're just taking some time to talk about the attributes of God that are really important for us to understand. And the heartbeat behind this series is really simple. You see, I just, I really want us to have a more full picture of who God is and what he has done so that we can more fully step into what he is calling us to. You see, as I've been just thinking and praying and spending time among you guys, well, I just, I'm feeling just this deep sense that God is doing some amazing things. I don't know if anyone else in the room feels that, but I, I feel that. I feel that on Sunday mornings whenever we gather together and we worship together and we sit under the teaching of Pastor Josh. I feel that whenever we gather in this room on Wednesday nights and we just praise God and we're walking through these attributes of who God is. I feel it whenever I'm in family groups and I'm talking to you guys about the things of Scripture. I just feel from many of you that there's this deep sense to truly know who God is, to know him more deeply and to follow him more fully. And that fires me up because you see what I believe, I believe in this generation. I believe that God wants to do incredible things in you and I believe that God wants to do incredible things through you. Whenever I look out on a room like this, I believe wholeheartedly that there are people in this room that God is going to raise up to be church planters and missionaries to take the gospel where it has not yet been proclaimed. I believe that. I believe that there are others of you in this room who God is going to raise up to be successful in industry and in the workplace so that you can support the mission of God, so that you can be a light in the workplace, so that you can be a, a, like a um, really helpful to the church. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that God wants to do incredible things in us and through us. I believe that he is raising up a generation of men and women to take their place in the advancement of the kingdom of God. But if we're going to be a part of any of that, if we're ever going to experience that as a people, then we have to take the time to know God fully. We have to take the time to know God deeply. We have to slow down enough to examine who he is, what he has done, and what that means for us. And so that's the heartbeat of this series. That's why we're doing this. That's why I'm here. I believe in you. But more importantly, I believe in the one who loves you beyond compare. And I believe that he wants to do incredible things in us and through us. So that's why we're taking some time to dive into the attributes of God. And I could not be more fired up about it. So tonight, we're talking about two things. Two attributes of God. It's a little two-for-one special. All right, we're talking about God's justice and we're talking about God's mercy. But before we dive into that too far, would you just take a moment just to to pray with me? I just want to invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to give you a moment just right where you sit. See, what we, we say here often is that we don't want this to be just another thing that we attend. I don't want Prince College Nights to just be another thing on your calendar. I want this to be a time where we come into this place and we encounter the living God. I don't know what you're walking in here with. I don't know the distractions that plague your mind, the things that are going on outside of this space. But for these moments that we share, would you take just a second and pray and ask that God would use these moments to speak to you. I'm going to be silent just for a second. You pray that, then we'll pray for us, and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. 
God, I thank you for these times that we get to share. I thank you that we have a time and a space to come and to worship you. I thank you that we have the ability to open your word and study it together. And God, I feel just very deeply those things that I was just talking about. I feel like you are up to something, that you're doing something. And God, I just want, I want us to engage in these moments well. I want us to draw near to you, to experience more of you, to hear from you. And God, I know that I'm incapable of producing that on my own. I know that. And I'm asking you to use these times that we share to speak, to be glorified in them. May they be a blessing to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 1. Should be pretty easy to find. It's the first page of the Bible, okay? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be spending some time in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tonight. Full disclosure, we're going to hop all around the Bible, but we're going to be in these three chapters primarily. If you know me at all, chances are I've probably told you that Genesis is one of my favorite books in the Bible, all right? I'm really, I really, really love Genesis. So if you ever want to nerd out on the things of Genesis, I would love to talk to you about that. We're going to be predominantly tonight, and tonight, like I said, we're taking some time to talk about the justice of God. How we, as God's people, are meant to be a people who seek justice because we have a God who is a God of justice. And as I was thinking about that this week and just really studying and preparing for our time together, I was thinking about how justice is like a trigger word in our culture today. We talk about it a lot. It's pervasive, right? We can talk about justice all day long. It's all over our culture. And what I found interesting is that no matter what socioeconomic status you belong to, no matter where you grew up, the topic of justice seems to be, at this day and age, the topic that is on the hearts and minds of many, many people. We think about justice a lot. And injustice, whenever we see it, whenever we encounter it, whenever it is exposed, enrages us, right? We've seen that a lot over the course of this past two years. There's been a lot of injustice revealed. There's been a lot of anger expressed. We see this all over our culture. There's no shortage of injustice in our world. And we are living in a time period in which injustice is more clearly seen than it has ever been throughout the entirety of human history. Like, you understand this, right? Like, in Jesus' day... Jesus couldn't just hop on Instagram and see about something that was happening over in Greece, right? But we can. You can. Whenever you pick up your phone, you can see injustice happening all over the world. And we've seen it, right? We've seen conflicts take place in places like Afghanistan and the mistreatment of women and people being treated as less than human. We've seen the refugee crisis that's happening all over the world right now where people are being, families are being displaced from their homes because of the tyranny of the leadership of their home countries. We've seen just epidemics like disease, poverty, and food insecurity sweep across nations and leave generational impact. It's devastating. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We could sit here all night and talk about the injustices that we see in our world. And whenever we see injustice, it it just enrages us. It lights a fire in our bones. Whenever we see injustice in our world, it does not sit right with our spirit. And anger begins to emerge. And we cry out for something different. And we cry out for justice. This is a part of being human. This is a human response. And what is interesting to me is it's not just the response of humans that are religious, but of all people. There seems to be the longing within every human heart for justice. We cannot see injustice and remain content. The question that I have is why is that the case? 
Why is that such a common experience? No matter how you grew up, no matter what background you belong to, why does that seem to be the case for every human heart? That's a question that I believe the Bible has a very clear answer to. And I believe we see it in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to read with me in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. This is after God has created the world and he's created the land and the sea and the animals. And it says this, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image. It's really important. In our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This is a beautiful picture. And I don't want you to miss out on the significance of this. This is God, the creator, forming us, the creation, in his very image, in his likeness, meaning that we are made to resemble and reflect his very character. And what we're going to see tonight is that a part of God's character is this. A part of God's character, an attribute of God that is very important, is that God is just. God is just. He is a God of justice. And because our creator is a God of justice, we, being his creation, also desire justice. Because justice is at the heart of God. It is at the heart of those he has created. It is within our very nature, imprinted from God himself. You could say that it's the DNA of the divine that is within us. We long for justice. Now the problem is, this is a common human experience. We long for justice, but we pursue it in a lot of the wrong ways. We love to pursue justice, but oftentimes apart from God. And we're going to get there in a moment. But the first thing that I want us to see with our time together is I want us to see where this desire for justice originates. I want us to see it in the heart of God. We need to first see how God is just before we ever talk about how we are meant to pursue justice. So to talk about God's justice... We're going to take some time, and we're going to examine Genesis 1 through 3. Now, I'm not going to read all of it, because that's three chapters of Scripture, which is more than you probably read in the mornings, okay? So I'm not going to read it all on stage, okay? But what we are going to do is we're going to walk through these stories together. And I want to caution you, okay? This is really important. I know that there are many of you in this room who have grown up going to church services. That's not true of all of you, but I know it's true of some of you. And I know that the temptation may be that you think, okay, I've heard this story a million times. But I want to encourage you, just because you've heard it a lot does not mean you have digested the depths of the truths that are in these three chapters. So I want you to commit with me to let's dig deep together. Let's see what these three chapters have to say about the justice of God. You guys in with that? You you cool with that? Yes? Okay, thumbs up's great. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. A little response would be a little bit of fun, but that's okay. We'll talk about that. We'll work on it, okay? So, thank you. Uh, So, we're going to talk about God's justice. But in order to talk about God's justice, we need to talk about why that justice is necessary. Like, it doesn't make sense for, like, justice does not need to be seen if injustice is not present. So, we need to talk about where the injustice originates. And we see that very clearly in these three chapters in Genesis. You see, in Genesis one through two, we have this beautiful account of God creating the world in which we live in. Him speaking and galaxies being sent spinning into motion. It is beautiful. It is a display of his holiness, which is what we talked about last week. And right after the passage that I just read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says this. If you got your Bibles, read uh, Genesis 1, 28 through 31 with me. It says this that God blessed them, them being humanity. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, a.k.a. have lots of babies. Okay, that's what that is. Have lots of children. Go Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant that yields seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with its seed and fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and to everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And check this out in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is a beautiful picture of the sixth day of creation. And we have this picture of this good world that God has created. That he's created mankind in his very image. He's established relationship with humanity and he's invited them to rule on the earth and to be in relationship with him. It is a beautiful picture and it is one that God himself calls very good. And this kind of reminds me, like whenever I'm reading Genesis 1 and 2, it kind of reminds me of like the beginning of like every good movie. Like you know what I'm talking about? At the beginning of every movie, it's like everything's nice and perfect for all about like five minutes and then disaster strikes and something has to be done to make things go back to the way that they once were. Like you understand that that's the storyline of like every movie. Things are good, something happens, things are terrible, something must be done to get things back to where they used to be. There's something about that that resonates with us, and it's because that's our story as well. That's the story of Scripture, because what we see in the chapters to come is that God blesses humanity. He gives them everything that they could ever want. He establishes this relationship with them. He places them in this garden filled with so many good and beautiful things to enjoy, but there's one thing that they're told not to do. There's one thing that they're told not to do. God tells them not to eat the fruit of one tree. There's tons of other trees. There are tons of other fruit. There's tons of other food. They are not wanting anything. But he says, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 2, 17, God says this. He says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So God gives them this beautiful garden with which to enjoy. A garden that is full of yes, to enjoy, to, to so many things, so much opportunity, so much life, so much blessing. A garden full of yes and one no. And what does humanity do? If you've read the story, you know that in a garden full of yes, humanity chose the one no. That's what they do. They choose the one no. This is the first recorded rebellion. And in a moment, the beauty of our story is disrupted by this rebellion that takes place in Genesis chapter 3. A rebellion that we'll, take, we'll talk about here in a minute. But this rebellion damages relationship with God. It is rebellion against his very nature. And now I know, before we go much further, I think I need to acknowledge this. I know that as a modern reader who experiences modern injustice, we come to this story about a man and a woman eating fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And the temptation for us is to think, okay, I know that was wrong, but it doesn't seem like too big of a deal, right? Like after all, it was just, it was just a fruit. Right? Like it was just a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. We have that temptation to think like that. We read this story and we think God's going a little crazy. Right? Like he's just being a little too overbearing, a little too tense. It's like, man, it's okay. It's just one piece of fruit. But before we think that, before we follow that line of thinking too far, I want us to dig in. And I want us to consider what is happening here because we need to understand the magnitude of this moment. There's a lot that's happening. First, the most simplistic thing that's happening is humanity is choosing to take something that does not belong to them, okay? That's what they're doing. God has given them the fruit of every tree in the garden except for this one. And humanity, having more than they could ever need or desire, chooses to take the one thing that they've been told not to have. All right, They are choosing to take something that does not belong to this on its own is wrong. 
Okay, this on its own is a micro example of injustice. But there's a much, much bigger thing that's happening here. There's something that's happening on a much deeper level. You see, what's happening is this. God had created this good world. He had created humanity in his own image. He had invited them to rule and to subdue the earth, to be in relationship with him. They were designed to be in relationship with the Father and to receive from him all that they needed. Like we talked about last week, they were designed by a holy God. They were designed to be God's people, experiencing God's presence and accomplishing God's purposes. This was their design. But what we see is instead they choose to rebel. And this rebellion is about so much more than just wanting a piece of fruit. You need to understand that, okay? The temptation in the garden wasn't just that the fruit looked nice and that they were hungry, okay? Whenever the enemy comes to them in Genesis chapter 3, which we're going to read in a moment, he doesn't say, hey, look at how shiny the fruit is. I bet it's nice and tasty. I bet it's really juicy. Like, he doesn't say that. That's not how he gets them to eat the fruit. The temptation in the garden was for humanity to be like God. They're grasping at power. Look at this with me. Genesis 3. Verses 1 through 5. This is incredible. It says that the serpent, who is the enemy in this story, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, creepy snake talking, he says to the woman, did God actually say, so he's already questioning God's word, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman replies and says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Which Eve's kind of exaggerating here. God never said that they couldn't touch the tree, but whatever, that's what she says to the serpent. And the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and check this out, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. This is the temptation that gets them. And the tragedy that takes place in Genesis chapter three is that humanity exchanges the blessings of God for a lie that will never be true. That's what happens in Genesis chapter three. They choose to believe a lie and pursue their own way. They choose to believe a lie that they're going to be better off on their own, that life would be better apart from God. That's the lie that they're believing. And because of this lie, we see the first rebellion. We see humanity grasping for power which does not belong to them. We see the first instance of wrongdoing. And because of that, the justice of God is required. Because of the wrongdoing, the justice of God is required. Because God is just, he must punish this rebellion. He must punish injustice. He must punish wrongdoing. And let's pause right here. Let's just be honest with one another for a second. This is where we start to get a little uncomfortable, right? Like this is the moment when we start talking about God's punishment. Whenever we start talking about God's judgment, we start to kind of like recoil, a little bit, right? Like we start to squirm a little in this because it doesn't feel right. It feels kind of wrong. It feels like God should just forgive and forget and move on. That's kind of what we want from God sometimes. We don't want him to deal with the wrongdoing. You see, we, we live in a generation where people love to talk about the love of God, and we're going we're gonna to do that in a couple weeks. It's going to be awesome. I'm really pumped about it. But we love to talk about the love of God. We love to talk about the forgiveness of God. But whenever this topic arises, whenever we start to talk about God's justice or God's wrath, it, it's something that we, a lot of us just really want to ignore because it makes us a little uncomfortable. And I, I hit on this a little bit last week, but I think it's worth mentioning again. I think there's several of us who've grown up in churches, who've grown up in traditions, or perhaps even grown up in families that love to harp a little too much on this attribute of God on his justice and on his wrath. And they like to use this attribute of God as an excuse to be judgmental themselves. 
And that line of logic goes something like this, that because God is just and because God punishes wrongdoing and because God brings judgment, then so should I. We, we all know people like that, or I'm guessing many of us know people like that. People use this as an excuse to become the judge themselves. And listen to me, whenever people do that, the result is always the alienation of people and the result is always pain. If you've grown up experiencing that kind of religious, holier-than-thou spirit, my guess is this attribute of God makes you feel really uncomfortable. And it makes you feel really frustrated. But I want you to hear me say something really specific tonight. Don't ever equate the justice of God with the self-righteousness of people. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. The justice of God is not the same as the self-righteousness of people. They're very different things. People were never meant to assume the role of judge. That was always meant to belong to God because he alone is truly just. But I also need you to understand something else. That in order for God to be truly just, that means that he must, he must deal with wrongdoing. That's what it means to be just. That justice means to see a wrong made right. True justice requires restitution. True justice requires action. True justice requires that wrongdoing be dealt with. And I want you to hear me say that this is a good thing, that justice is a part of God's character. Because if God did not deal with wrongdoing, if he did not deal with injustice, then God would not be good. You understand that, right? That if God did not deal with injustice, if God did not punish wrongdoing, he would not be good. If God merely chose to sweep things under the rug and to forgive and forget and overlook things like they never happened, he would not be a good God. But instead, he would be a God that's passive and indifferent about the things that pain his people. And that's not who God is. That's not the God that you want. That's not the God that you need. What we as humanity need, we need a God that stands up and puts wrongdoing to an end. We need a God who acts on behalf of his creation whenever they cannot act on their own. And that's the God of Scripture. That's the picture that Scripture paints for us. Scripture paints a picture of a God who gets angry whenever something is done to his people or by his people that are, is not, that is in violation of his character. I'm gonna say it again. Scripture paints a picture of God that gets angry whenever something is done to his people or done by his people that violates his character. God cares deeply about his creation. He cares deeply about the way this world is supposed to be. He designed it. So whenever anything is done that is contrary to his design, he must take action. Because he is just. So he must deal with wrongdoing. If he didn't, he would not be good. So his justice is an expression both of his holiness and of his goodness. You need to see that. His justice is an expression of his holiness and of his goodness. So whenever we jump back into our story in the opening chapters of the Bible, this is exactly what we see God do. That whenever Adam and Eve choose to rebel. They are punished by God, and they are set up on a trajectory that leads only to death. Again, Genesis 2.17, God told them, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Their warning was there, but they chose not to pay attention. And so what we see God do in Genesis chapter 3 is that God has a very pointed and a very, very direct conversation with Adam and Eve in which he removes them from the garden and he removes them from his very presence. But I'm harping on all this. I'm explaining all this so that you understand that it's not just that God is angry at Adam and Eve for being a, you know, disobedient little boy and disobedient little girl. That's not the totality of what's happening. God is not like throwing some cosmic temper tantrum. You need to understand that God is not on some divine power trip. He's angry because of what this will mean for his creation. 
He is grieved by this. And he carries out justice because he's a good God and he is just. But he is grieved for what this means for his people. And the rest of the story of Scripture, the rest of the Bible flows from this place. And you will never understand God's justice if you do not understand this. That everything he does is for his glory and the good of his creation. So anything that threatens either of those two things must be dealt with because he is just. But what we see as we continue through the story of Scripture is that humanity continues to make these poor decisions, continues to pursue their own way, to distrust God and to choose to trust and follow themselves. The crazy thing is, God lets them do it. God allows them to. God allows humanity to pursue their own desires. And their corrupt desires continue to wreak havoc on God's good world and damage relationship with one another. The book of Romans talks a ton about this. If you want to learn more about God's wrath and the satisfaction of God's wrath, read the book of Romans. Okay? Romans 1, 24 and 25 says this. It says, therefore... God gave them up, gave people, that's what it's talking about. God gave people up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Listen to this. This is direct Garden of Eden language. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's what Romans 1 tells us. Romans tells us that humanity consistently makes the wrong choice. Choosing to exchange the truth of God for a lie and choosing to worship and pursue all the wrong things. And as the book of Romans continues to unfold, what we see is that this is not just an Adam and Eve problem, that this is an all-mankind problem. Romans 3.23 says that for all, every single one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is not just a problem for the characters of the Bible. This is a problem for you and I. And the result is ultimately our destruction. Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. And I know that that's, that's heavy. And that may not have been what you were expecting whenever you walked into this place tonight, but it's important for us to understand this because we must understand God's justice in totality. We must understand that this is not just some story written in a book that's a few thousand years old, that this is our story, that we, all of us living right here and right now, we are a people of rebellion. We are a people created by a holy God for a relationship with him, yet we have all chosen to pursue our own way. We have all instead trusted in ourselves rather than trusting in God. If you don't believe me, just think about what motivates you. Think about your thought life. Think about what you spend the most time thinking about. I would be willing to bet that all of us in this room spend more time talking about ourselves Thinking about ourselves, thinking about what's going to be beneficial for me, making decisions about what's going to be most advantageous for me. We are consumed with self. Our desires are all tainted with selfishness and pride. And the Bible tells us that our desires have put us on a trajectory that will only lead to one place. That on our own, we're on a trajectory that's only leading to our destruction if we continue to pursue and insist upon our own ways. We're going to destroy ourselves and those around us. And hear me, God will allow you to pursue your own way. That's an aspect of his love, and we're going to dig into that in a couple more weeks. He's not going to force you to do that. He's not going to force you to follow in his way. He will allow us to pursue our own way. That's what Romans 1 talks about. But that will result in our demise. I think about it like this. I heard an analogy this week that compared this idea to like, like, train, like a train on the train tracks. You understand that train tracks, they're going to one specific destination. And a train can go faster or a train can go slower, but if it's on those train tracks, it's only ending where the train tracks end. It's only ended in that destination. You understand that? Everybody following me? That's very similar to the way that we live our lives. That we... On our own, we're on a set of train tracks following our desires, following our understanding, and it's only going to lead 
to our own destruction. It's a set of train tracks of our own making. Our own poor decisions set up these train tracks, and it's only going to lead to our demise. And some people may get there faster than others, but that's where we're all headed. That on our own, we are headed towards destruction. This is the story of mankind. This is the trajectory that we have created for ourselves. And what I want you to see is this, that our story had a beautiful beginning. But our own choices, our own rebellion created a massive problem, a problem that we cannot, we cannot solve on our own. But, here's where the good news comes. Here's where the good news comes. But, fortunately for us, that's not where our story ends. The Bible has a lot more to it than just first three chapters, right? There's, this is not where our story ends because we need to see another attribute of God that's always closely connected to his justice. And what you see is that the attribute of God called his mercy is always connected to his justice. They're linked that even though God demands justice. He often provides it in surprising ways that demonstrate his mercy. So if we're defining the justice of God as wrongdoing being made right, then you can define his mercy like this, that his mercy is defined as choosing to withhold the punishment that is justly deserved. It's choosing to withhold the punishment that is justly deserved. Just punishment is what we deserve for our rebellion. But God's mercy, he provides another way. In God's mercy, he provides another way. And we see that, again, in our story in Genesis. I want you to see this. This this blows my mind. I love this imagery and the importance of this. That right after, right after, the man and the woman rebel against God, they're ashamed. And they're afraid, and they run, and they hide themselves. And what we see is that God confronts Adam and Eve in their wrongdoing. He has a really severe, like, come to Jesus moment with them. And then this happens in Genesis 3, verse 21. I want you to read this with me. Again, this is one of those verses that you could very easily breeze over. But in Genesis 3, 21, it says this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This is significant. What's going on here? Remember, remember, God had told Adam and Eve that on the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. Yet here they are, after their rebellion, and God, instead of taking their life, chooses to take the life of another. For garments of skin to be made, a sacrifice had to be performed. An animal likely is what had to die. That God instead takes the life of another and he provides clothing to cover the shame of his people. What is that? That is an act of mercy. That is an act of God's mercy that even in their rebellion, God chooses to provide for them. He extends mercy to them. He clothes them in their shame. And the same story in which we are introduced to the idea of God's justice, we are also introduced to the idea of God's mercy. These two attributes of God are inextricably linked throughout the thread of scripture. Whenever you see the justice of God, his mercy is always there. You can think about stories that you commonly know. Think about stories like Pharaoh, who has the Egyptians, has the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, and he sent, God sends Moses and says, let my people go. You remember singing songs about that whenever you were a little kid? Maybe so, okay? He says, let my people go. God gives Pharaoh 10 chances Ten chances. And Pharaoh insists on rebelling against God, not listening to God. He hardens his own heart. And then God hardens his heart for him and says, I'm going to give you over to your desires. You are going to be destroyed. But it wasn't before he had a chance. You think about King Saul, who is in Scripture a wicked, evil tyrant of a king who brings all kinds of trouble for the soon-to-be King David. 
who pursues him, tries to kill him, and who is eventually destroyed because of the consequences of his own actions. But it's not before God gave him chances to repent, where God sends Samuel, where God sends other men of God to warn Saul about the consequences of his own actions. Over and over and over again, we see God's judgment tied to God's mercy. And ultimately, and this is where it gets really good, and ultimately, the story of Scripture reaches a climax whenever Jesus, the Son of the living God, shows up on the scene and he lives a perfect life. The Scriptures tell us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he lives a perfect life in perfect submission to his Father, that he's the only one to ever live in perfect obedience to God, the only one to never deserve an ounce of judgment from the Father because he had never committed any wrongdoing. This is who Jesus is. Yet, what does he choose to do? That he chooses to lay down his life as a sacrifice for all of mankind. That's what this king does. Romans 5 talks about this idea in, in Romans 5, 6. is while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says that one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe someone would die for a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this, Prince College, that out of love for us, God displays mercy. And Jesus surrenders his life to pay for our wrongdoing. And don't miss the imagery and the connections here because once again, the life of another is given to cover the shame of God's people. This is all tied together. And what you see whenever you examine the life of Jesus alongside these stories in Genesis, what you see is this, is that what God did, this is important, what God did for Adam and Eve temporarily he has now done for you ultimately. What God did for Adam and Eve temporarily, he has now done for you ultimately because in the garden, God provided Adam and Eve with a temporary covering for their shame. But on the cross of Christ, the serpent's head was crushed once and for all and our sin and shame has been covered once and for all. What God did for Adam and Eve temporarily, he has now done for you ultimately on the cross of Christ, what we see is this. We see God's justice and God's mercy collide, and the result is our redemption. That's the story of the gospel, and that is really, really good news because we are told in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved that his justice is satisfied on the cross. Our God is just and our God is merciful. So the question becomes as we wrap up, what now? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for college students and young adults living in 2022? How are we supposed to respond to all of this? If you're going to write something down, I'd encourage you to write this down. I think it's going to be behind me on the screens. I want you to remember this, that the justice of God accomplished on the cross should direct our praise heavenward and our lives outward. It should direct our praise heavenward and our lives outward. What I mean by that is this, that whenever we see what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, the result in our hearts, in the deepest part of our being, should be adoration, should be praise, because we realize that if it were not for him, that we would all be lost and without hope. This is our story. We would all, apart from Jesus, be lost and without hope. But because of Jesus, we now have what 1 Peter 1.3 calls a living hope. And so we should bless the name of the Lord our 
God. Our praise should be lifted heavenward because we see, remember the, the, the visual of the train tracks, right? That on our own, we're on train tracks that are headed only to our destruction. What the story of the gospel shows us is this. The story of the gospel shows us that God saw the train tracks of rebellion that we had created for ourselves, tracks that only led to our destruction, And God was not satisfied with the direction we were headed, so he sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again to pay the price for our wrongdoing so that if we surrender our lives to him, we may receive forgiveness, we may receive new life, which means that in Jesus, we are taken off the tracks of rebellion that lead to death and we're put on new tracks, the tracks of redemption that lead to life. This is the story of the gospel. So we praise him whenever we see his justification and his mercy meet on the cross. The result should be that our praise is directed heavenward. We praise God for accomplishing this because we know that we could never accomplish it on our own. But we don't just stop there. We don't just stop at directing our praise heavenward. We also direct our lives outward that we're meant to join with God on mission in this world. Yeah, this is so significant. Another beautiful connection between the story in Genesis and, and Jesus is this, that in, G, in Genesis 1.28, God tells humanity to be fruitful and multiply. He tells them to subdue the earth. This is what God told his creation. You could say that it was God's first mission given to his creation, his mission given to humanity. So you remember, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. Jesus gives a very similar mission to his disciples in Matthew 28, a mission that we too are to pursue, another mission to multiply. But this time we are to multiply by making disciples of all nations. Understand the great commission given to us in Matthew 28 is just be fruitful and multiply 2.0. That's what that is. It's to go out and to make disciples of all nations. We are meant to join God on mission in this world. We're meant to be people who promote justice and mercy to the glory of God, our Father. That is who you are meant to be. And so the way you pursue justice is going to look different than the world around you. Remember I told you the world around us loves to talk about justice and loves to say that they're pursuing justice. But what the world is actually doing is they're pursuing justice apart from God. And here's what the world does. This is where it's different. The world sees injustice and they get angry, as they should. Injustice should make us angry because, again, we're created in the image of God. All right? Injustice should make us Angry. We see injustice, we get angry, but then the world moves out from a place of anger. And the Bible tells us very clearly that that's never going to accomplish it. We're never going to accomplish anything in our own anger. James 1.20, the anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger is never going to accomplish anything. What the world is doing is they're moving out in anger, and at best what they're doing is they're seeking revenge. And revenge masquerades as justice, but it is not justice. Those are not the same thing. So the world moves out in their anger, pursuing revenge. We are meant to do something different. We're not meant to sit idly by. We're not meant to be people on the sidelines. The people of God are meant to rise up. We're meant to realize what has been accomplished for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're meant to move outward, not turning a blind eye to injustice, but serving, helping, loving, and blessing those around us, moving towards those who have been wronged and who can't help themselves because that's what our God does. That's who we are meant to be. You are meant to be a people of justice. You are meant to be a people of mercy. We are told this time and time again. Think about places like Micah 6 verse 8, that he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what is good. This is the good life that we are meant to live, that we are meant to direct our praise heavenward, to praise him for all that he has done, and then to walk humbly on our earth as we direct our lives outward to do justice, to love kindness. As we close tonight, I want you to understand this. Our God is just and merciful, 
And if you belong to him, you are meant to display that to the world around you. My question that I have for you tonight is this, is how will you play a part in that mission? You've been created uniquely. You've been placed in this time and in this place for a reason. You've been given gifts. You've been given passions. You've been given attributes that are unique to you. How will you steward them to be a portrait of God's justice and mercy as you move into the world around you? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God of justice. God, I thank you that you don't sweep wrongdoing under the rug, that you are angered by that which harms your creation. You are angered by that which threatens to compromise your glory. And you deal with it, proving that nothing could ever compromise your glory, proving that nothing could ever thwart you. You are a God of justice. You're a God of mercy. God, I just pray for everyone in this room tonight. God, I pray that we would see you more clearly than we have ever seen you. That we would understand your justice, that we would understand your mercy. And God, that it would overwhelm our hearts. And God, that we would be people who direct our praise heavenward and our lives outward. That we would live our lives differently because we Here in a moment, the band's going to lead us in one more song. We're going to sing about how Jesus Christ is our living hope. But before we do that, I just want to encourage you. There may be some of you in this room tonight who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never experienced Jesus to be your living hope. I want you to know that here in a moment, there's going to be a few of us that are standing in the back. If you want to talk to us about that, if you want to pray about anything that's going on in your life, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to stand and sing of the goodness of God that Jesus Christ is our living hope, I want to invite you to do that. If you want to sit and pray, do that. However God is stirring in your heart, I encourage you to respond in these moments. Remember, we're here to encounter him. So, Father, we love you. We trust you glorified in us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at at prince.college. We'll see you next time.